Welcome to Why We Do This, a podcast for and by performing artists. Find out more about our guests and about us at whywedothispodcast.com. Our guest today is Courtney Lane Self, a prolific and thought-provoking director-choreographer. It's clear that the three of us were destined to work together. There are so many coincidences and synchronicities surrounding our life. Courtney and I first met in a theater company that was probably not the healthiest of environments. And then my dad hired her to choreograph a show that we were working on together without knowing that I had already met her and already had a major friend crush on her. Courtney has always inspired me personally, not just as an artist, but simply as a thinking person in the world. I feel like I could talk to her for days. My favorite quote from this conversation, although there are a lot of gems in here, is we all have to train ourselves to become the kind of artists that we are. We dive in almost immediately with Courtney and cover a lot of ground. Production value on a budget, defying people's definition of theater in general, grief in a pandemic, and developing methodology for creating theater in a supportive way. We start by asking Courtney our baseline question of how she defines herself as an artist when people ask her, what do you do? First, uh, first question is kind of like, how do you identify yourself as an artist when you're talking to people? It's an apt question, I think, for me in the sense that even, even just with the introduction, it, it kind of depends on how people know me that other people identify me. So I find that being um, sort of a, a key thing. Um, and I, so I definitely identify as a director choreographer, um, but I think sort of colloquially in the business that has uh, a certain uh, definition for people. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, most of the time director choreographers are choreographers first and then they start directing. So if you think about big director choreographers, you know, Bob Fosse is really choreography first. He really doesn't have any specific training in direction. It was all choreography first. And then he moved to directing and much of his career was marked by sort of proving himself as a director. Susan Stroman, much the same way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so th there are these sort of like seminal figures in the music theater field of directing and choreography, and that tends to be the path. Um, and for me, it was really sort of the opposite. Um, which it, well, they, they sort of were concurrent with each other, but all of my training is in directing. All of my degrees are in theater. None of them are in, as far as performance goes, they're all in theater. None are in dance specifically. And, um, I have a, a master's in directing and I have no formal training actually in choreography. Like I've never taken a choreography class wow. in my life. Yeah. But I've taken, you know, thousands of hours of, you know, directing training. So, um, for me, dance is just a language that I've always spoken. And so I choreograph with the same process and technique that my directing training has given me. I just mm -hmm. like apply that directly to how, how I put uh, dance and movement on stage. So, Wow. Um, that's amazing because you're so good at choreography. I mean, you're Thanks. an incredible director also. And like, I'm very floored to know that you didn't really take choreography classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, you know, and I think, I, I do think that's a thing about being an artist though, and mm -hmm. artistry totally. and, you know, developing your craft is, is that whatever kind of artist you are, 
there's a, a sort of a lot of different routes to get to be that thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we all have to train ourselves uh, mm-hmm. and, and sort of find our own way to, to whatever kind of artist we are. So, yeah. Did you dance a lot? Yeah. So, so I, uh, interestingly, like if you go way back with me, my mom started me in dance when I was two right. and mm-hmm. I hated it. so like I I quit when I was five um I remember my dad said it was the middle of the year and my dad said to me he was like you know Courtney selfs that's my last name self selfs aren't quitters we're not quitters I was like I was like I know dad he was like you have to finish out the year like the agreement is you have to finish out the year so I did and I did the recital and then I quit and I didn't start again there was a moment um in I was like a sixth grader and all of a sudden theater was interesting to me, which is not in my family at all. Like mm. nobody does it at all. My my mom used to dance when she was younger, which is why she started me. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of a sudden I was interested in theater. And so I got myself into like into some shows at the community theater in my town. And I thought to myself as a sixth grader, because uh, I've always had sort of the brain of a 45 year old accountant. Um, you know, Courtney, <laughs> it would be prudent if you also bolstered your training with some, with some dance. So I started dance again, uh, not until sixth grade, which is actually late, which is actually really, really late. Yeah. And I took 80 billion dance classes and kind of caught up and, um, started to figure out who I was as a dancer. Um, but the, the theater, uh, has always come first for me. And I certainly don't have much experience in the world of like specifically concert dance which is right which is its own thing right. yes yeah. that, totally i'm curious what the spark was for you so you said you kind of theater all of a sudden became interesting to you do you remember if there was like a moment where you were like i want that yeah i well i certainly remember the moment where i decided to literally commit my life to it which is a very which is another conversation with my father as <laughs> as a very young person that I, that i had um but you know i don't know how like, I don't know why I said to my dad out of nowhere, hey, uh, there were auditions for, there were two different community theaters in town and one uh, had auditions for Carousel and the other one had auditions for The Secret Garden. Now, Carousel, it's, they just need kids, like just ensemble mm-hmm. kids. Secret Garden has two lead roles for kids. There's like a leading role for a young boy and a leading role for a young girl. Right. So I tried out for both. <laughs> and what, what, how, I think I lucked out because every talented child in Topeka, Kansas was trying out for Secret Garden. And over in the carousel auditions, I think the director was like, well, I guess we have to cast that tone deaf girl. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I was always, uh, I was always sort of a performative child. Uh, when my grandfather died when I was six, I created roller skating shows in the garage to cheer people up. Like, I, I think I always, Aww. for whatever reason, I, do, I don't know why. Like I said, theater's just not in the family. Uh, anyway, so I got, in, I got into this show, and about three weeks into the rehearsal process, my dad was driving me home. It was like a 20-minute drive home, so we had some time to, you know, we always had some time to, to digest the rehearsal. <laughs> and I said, you know, Dad... I think this is what I want to do. He goes, what? 
I said, I think I want to do theater. He said, you mean like more shows? I was like, no, for the rest of my life. Like I think, (laughs) and he was like, well, okay, sure. And just, you know, I think he just thought it was cute, but uh, I never, from that moment on, you know, somewhere kind of late in my sixth grade year, I somehow never wavered from knowing that I loved theater. Um, Mm -hmm. But my, my path of exactly what I want to do within it has adjusted many times since. Yeah. That makes, yeah, I think it, it is, it is a journey, isn't it? Always. I think Um, it has to be. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm curious. Did we, we met with red shirt, you and I. I. Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah. And you were, you came on as a director, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What a crazy time that was. Yeah. And then, and then like, and I loved you so much. I was like, yay, kindred spirit. And then all of a sudden you were doing this life and that was a really nice. um, I can't believe that was a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, it was a total coincidence. Yeah, and the other coincidence with Courtney is, uh, you know, I I left. Uh, we my family like vagabonds, practically, uh, <laughs> practically like some out of Steinbeck or something. Left New York with uh, two cars, a U-Haul, animals, and you know, caged in the back of a state '66 station wagon, and went to Wichita to um, lived in a trailer for a week before we found a place to rent for $155 a month that had five bedrooms on the outskirts of Wichita. I went to Wichita High School South. So all this stuff that happened in the 71 to 80 while I was there that was seminal and so important in my life. And then I come back here and you're the second Kansan I've worked with regularly, third, sorry, third Kansan I've worked with regularly since coming back and each, each relationship is deep and important like it's so so interesting the way these things happen and then the fact that julia knew you i'm like yeah what yeah did you <laughs> did you find that out before you hired no. me no wow okay wow i because i knew i knew we didn't know in the interview like i remember no, that we didn't like, know. I and, yeah. and i learned about the kansas thing i think in the interview and that was like oh that's something but I knew in the first five minutes of the interview that I was hiring you. I knew that right away. It was just a thing. And I think that's partly the Kansas thing, but also partly just, you know, just like why you and I are still working together and yeah. love each other is because the, whatever that thing is. But then when Julia knew you on top of that, I was like, this is really hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just this morning watching some of your videos on your website and was, which got emotional. I watched the just a lot of the um, musical reviews. Oh, and then I watched the movie project or the the movie experiment. The movie experiment, yeah. Which I thought was incredible and so timely. Um, but I was also just watching like Nine to Five and The Little Mermaid and Mary Poppins and those sort of like production. Oh, and Rent. And I I got really emotional because <laughs> I miss it so much. And also, I feel like you have a thing that you're doing that. Um, is pretty rare, uh, which is like, you really know how to go big, which I feel like a lot of the time, I don't know, maybe, maybe more people know how to do this than I realize, but I feel like coming from like growing up in New York, the only time you saw stuff with that kind of production value was on Broadway. And sometimes people would accomplish that feeling that you get as an audience where you want to burst into tears on the, at the opening number because of all the 
because of the majesty of what's on stage, but also because of how much work went into it. Right, right, right. So I think, I don't know, I I am curious to, I know you've had a long journey of education and you've worked really hard to get where you are, Um, but I would love to know like a little bit about your process Um, because it is, your, your work is really beautiful and special and like on a level that I think is not, doesn't always happen. You know, it's, it's so interesting, you know, as you started, as you, as you brought this up, I I like wanted to know which ones, which reels you watched and what, just for people who are listening, what I have on my website is I, um, I actually have a general reel, but it's terribly out of date because what I've, what I've started to fall in love with is with each show that I do. Um, I have a, I have a life partner. Um, he's also like my partner in art. He will come up at some point, but, um, his name is Steven. He does everything in the entire world. And one of the things that he does is videography. So like I get good footage Mm. of the things that I do because Steven will show up and we talk to the artistic director and I'm like, can this guy like, you know, roll around in the seats and take really good footage. Um, so I've sort of taken to falling in love with, um, making individual reels of shows. Um, so, um, I, but I'd like to hear like which ones you watched and what it like, what, it's interesting to hear like what you took from it and what did you just say? You said how, that I'm not afraid to go big. Yeah. Yeah. Or, um, and that you know how to, because I, yeah, I don't think yeah. that everyone knows how to direct and choreograph f- for something at that scale. And I, you know, it's, it's so, it's really interesting to hear it described that way too, because I, I do feel like, and I, I think we all sort of do. I think there is a very, very select few people who feel like they have all of the resources they need to do exactly what they want in the theater. So like, I think the rest of us are making work that has a lot to do with creating within whatever your sort of like unique set of limitations mm-hmm. is, are. Um, and so I find that like um, with some shows, uh, Little Mermaid and Mary Poppins were both examples at, at one particular theater I've worked at where um, we have, it's summer stock. So it's like a true two, two and a half weeks of rehearsal and it's like $14 of a budget. And it's like, yeah. you, know what I, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's very, and, and a lot of, um, as far as like human resources go, it's a lot of people who are still undergrads and it's a lot of like, as far as like on your, your crew, um, so a lot of people who are still sort of at the level of of intern and really still learning. Um, and so that process has been a lot about um, what is, like, I think what I like to do with my work is to not be afraid to not do what Broadway has done. And I think right. that is part of how I'm able to get my stuff to look and feel big, even though honest to God, that little mermaid, like storm sequence you saw is like plastic, you know, like, uh, like, you know, plastic sheeting, like, you know, staple (laughs) to, it's very homemade and it works because we, uh, Mary Poppins, we didn't waste any of our budget trying to get Mary Poppins and Bert to fly. We didn't yeah. fly them. I just physical theatered the shit out of that. Yeah. And I used my ensemble as puppeteers, mm-hmm. which is to puppet bodies in the air, to puppet set pieces, to, and that mm-hmm. shit is free. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, 
And that feels, you know, you mentioned production value. It's just so funny because that cost, you know, it costs $14. So like it, it is about, um, and I guess the last thing I'll say on that is <laughs> this works out for me because that's how I want to make work anyway. Yeah. I, I, there's a Xanadu was another production I did recently. And there's a moment in Xanadu where they put her on like a swing in like a unicorn and they fly her up into the, <laughs> and it's just this one song. And it's, and it, because it was um, off Broadway, was Xanadu yeah. Broadway? Because it was off. They, it, was Broadway. it was Broadway. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, but in what space was it in? It was in, I don't a, remember. I don't but remember. it was in like a smaller and yeah. they were so anyway, it was an interesting space, but they were like, you know what? This is Broadway. Let's fly her in the air. Like there was no reason right. um, to, it, it wasn't even that climactic of a moment in the show, you know? And um, so I'm doing, I'm doing this somewhere else. I'm not going to waste not one penny of my budget. And instead we puppeted a unicorn and made this, and we're already on roller skates. We could like roll around with like unicorn pieces that like the cast, like, yeah. Very, like somebody held a wing and somebody held just the tail of a horse and somebody held a unicorn head and she flew in the middle around the stage and we just put fog all over the bottom. Like it was yeah. beautiful and um magical, so magical. Yes. And and I I I think what does well for me is in moments where people might otherwise go, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not what Broadway did at all. I don't I don't know that we should do that. And I go, well, tell me again how much money you're giving me for a budget. And they say $14. And I go, so we got to do it this way. And they go, yeah, you're right. So like, <laughs> I, I think I get away with, like I convince my artistic directors to take risks that they might not otherwise be willing to take if they mm -hmm. were giving me more money. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. I did, a, um, I did a show once with... Um, it was a, a poetry dance theater piece. It was like, it was, I, I staged the scenes and I, there was poetry being read and voiceover and there was original music. It was a Romanian thing at the uh, West Side Y where you and I have worked. And, and in behind, so I didn't know what to do for this moment where the, the, the evening star who comes down to earth decides to go back to heaven and reject humanity because they're so fickle or whatever. And so during the whole play I had, uh, purple royal purple backdrop just hanging behind the thing because I didn't have any more budget and I had all this material and I put uh so what happened at the end of the play when he just turns back into this celestial being is he goes and picks up the bottom of the curtain where there was a ring and puts it over his head and walks forward and the whole curtain lifted off and became wings for him and the audience was like <gasps> freaking out like yeah that. yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, so I'm, I'm so with you about like uh, not, not basing your impulses on what has been done before uh, knowing it, but then going to, well, what is the script actually asking for, right? Like, what is it actually asking for? And if you can find a way to do that, then, it's, then it doesn't matter if you do the Broadway thing. Uh, you and I are similar in that I've done... I mean, I've directed so many things, but I've, I haven't, since I left uh, Music Theater Wichita, actually, where I was a technician, not a director, I haven't done anything on the scale that I thought I'd be working in all my life. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so whenever I get a big space, I'm like, yay. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to ask you to go to the beginning. So you, like, when you get a script, let's say, let's take a traditional approach for the moment. Uh, 
you know, it's like for me, I've done Chicago, Jazzy Chaperone, uh, um, Little Women. Do, uh, Little Women, yeah. You don't have to start with one of those, but where do you, where do you start at when you're choreographing? And is it different than when you're directing? So I think part of the reason, and this kind of ties back in with what we were talking about before, what Julia sort of brought up when you were saying the, 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 the notion, when we were talking about the notion of production value, you know, all that also goes back to the, you know, my analysis when I first sit down and it's just me and the script and which is a very sort of like research kind of cerebral intellectual process in the sense of like analyzing the script. I, um, I'm so grateful. Different people have different reactions to grad school like yeah other people go who go oh i think going to grad school is a really smart idea and other people go god what a waste of time uh for me it was great i had a wonderful mentor that i may have mentioned to you before terry i can't remember but his name is shagoon um you guys are so similar Aww. that it means you would either love each other or right. rip each other's throats out you know what i mean like it would be um but uh uh, so I had this wonderful mentor and he hates musical theater. And, um, he, in my interview said, uh, in my interview, that's what I used to say, yeah, all yeah. The time. yeah, yeah, you know, I've worked on so many, but this point I can't, I can't do it anymore. I right. Right. I right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I do too. I have a real love hate relationship with yeah. musical theater. I, I think that it, you know, Peter Brook in the words of Peter Brook, you know, he talks about deadly theater, which is theater that's sort of, um, I think an example of deadly theater actually is theater where the person who's making it just thinks, what did Broadway do? And then they just do that. I'm like, right. ah, talk about not only dead, like not only literally not alive because you're mm -hmm. just doing something, but also deadly in the sense that it, to me, it's kind of irresponsible and like, I don't know, I think it fucks people up. I think it makes people like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, the standards become so less. Yeah. And, and audiences then go to these shows and think that that's, when people say I'm not a theater person, I'm like, what do you mean by that? They're like, well, I'm just not into Mamma Mia. And I'm like, don't worry. People are not into theater people either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course. But um, so, so I, have this, I have this mentor who says, you know, I hate musical theater. In my interview for grad school, he said uh, he is a low-voiced Nigerian-born man. So thick mm -hmm. Nigerian yes. accent incredibly like Shagoon is a terrifying man. Okay. He's not, he's actually a teddy bear. Don't tell him I said so, but um, <laughs> he, he can be quite, he can be quite intimidating. He said, um, your enthusiasm for musical theater is infectious. Let's hope it stays that way. Like just like deadpan. And I was oh, like, wow. so wow. am I in? Um, so uh, <laughs> where was that? Just briefly. Uh, South Southern Illinois university in Carbondale. Okay. Um, cool. And so uh, he, he was pivotal in many ways. And one of the things that we sort of like, what he committed to with me for three years was really, and this is what I wanted. I, uh, part of the reason why I switched over to directing from performance is because I was directed by some shit directors. Oh my and I God. was like, why am I doing that? Like what, this is so unfulfilling to me. I just was on an assembly line and there was no inspiration and there was no, and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to do this myself. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel right now. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, and, uh, so, so I was passionate from the get go about not being irresponsible with, uh, my own, um, uh, uh, sort of like the the calling of being a director. And if I'm going to do musical theater, I want to do it 
in a in a really sort of inspired and responsible and um, uh, uh, way. So, you know, I, I'm so thankful to my grad school process. So Shagoon trained me not like a musical theater director. Shagoon trained me like a, I hate this term, but a straight theater director. Whatever. Yeah, can we find a new term? No kidding. I, I hate it for so many reasons, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like just multiple levels of... So when I, as a director, when I first get a project, it, it very much starts out, you know, I need to acquaint myself with whatever research I need to know. I think in a commercial sense, I do a, a, what would be considered a fuck ton of research. But I think as soon as you put me like in an academic light, it's like, well, she looks a little lazy. Like it depends on what kind of world we're, <laughs> we're in. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. But I do, I do a fair amount of research about what I feel like I need to know and what really calls out to me. And then, you know, there's your typical sort of analysis stage. And for me, it's all about getting to the root of, I am a director who likes to work strongly with one specific concept. Mm-hmm. So, so with almost every show I do, um, I, I, I have like a concept that can be summed up in either a word or like may, maybe a sentiment, like it could, could be like a phrase or a sentence or something. Mm-hmm. But I tend to try to bring it back to that place to figure out what the piece um, wants to be not on the level of plot. Yeah. Like, what right is it now. saying? Yeah, yeah. Like one, one, one level removed. What, what's the kind of um, existential need that the piece is crying out for? And then I like to find the metaphor for that. Um, mm-hmm. a, a quick example of that uh, is Crazy for You was my thesis piece um, in grad school. Mm-hmm. Crazy for You is typically known for being... Uh, uh, lots of like glamour and glitz and there's this there's like the New York side of it where they show like New York theater and it's meant to be, and um I read that that script and thought to myself our lead character Bobby the lead character is not glamorous he sort of thinks that he needs to be glamorous the whole time but in fact Bobby is not a tux wearing guy he's like a tweed suit wearing guy cool and so I realized that the um, like that typical, when people think of crazy for you, they think of sort of the glamour. And for me, I was like, no, it's, it's, that's not the spirit of Bobby and what Bobby was like evolving to be anyway. So the, the concept for crazy for you was actually a dandelion, this notion of this, um, beautiful, colorful thing. If you didn't know what a dandelion was, you'd be like, wow, look at that cute little, it's kind of quirky and it's got its own spunk and personality. And look at that bright yellow color. But when you think of it, um, connotatively with what we, we think of dandelions are weeds. And so people tend to look down on dandelions or try to get rid of dandelions. Mm-hmm. And so Bobby, the lead character is a dandelion, right? Wow. Like, so everything. And so the production looked markedly less sort of glamorous. Um, the decisions that we made, um, you were, everything could sort of go back to that notion of Bobby as a dandelion. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I do like to work within something highly conceptual like that. And when I direct, I always try to find that concept because that becomes a, a, a central piece of focus for my conversations with all of my designers mm-hmm. and definitely with the actors. Um, there's a moment where I let go of it, right? There's a moment where in the room, we don't want to stay in the sort of like abstract feeling of we have to sort of like get like experiential and like visceral in the room but 
in the early stages of rehearsal, um, it's, it's, I spend a lot of time, um, some directors like get on their feet right away. And I'm like, no, everybody sit down and let's talk. Like I like for everyone to get to know each other, um, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be asking people to do some weird shit and I need for people to trust each other and trust. Right. So I don't skip over that step, but then also I don't skip over the step of here's what my concept and my vision for this is. Here's what we're doing. Um, it becomes particularly important, I think, with uh, many undergrad music theater students um, in the sense that, and I think an undergraduate program sh- uh, for music theater students should do this, but what those students do is there's a lot of studying of the canon of musical theater, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of studying of what these shows look like and what they originally looked like on Broadway because most people are like when you show up for an audition, they're going like, are you a this type or are you a this type? And so right. you're asked to like convey that constantly. And I have to teach um, everybody that I work with that that are coming from that world where I'm like, I actually don't want you to look anything like that. Like I, I, like I want to get back to sort of like who you are and what you specifically see in this role. And if that's nothing like what the Broadway look like or what you feel like this archetype is supposed to be, then throw it the fuck out. And that takes a little bit of time to convince a company of like young undergraduate aged people that they're allowed to do that or even to start to figure out what it looks like to build in that way. So mm-hmm. the beginning of my rehearsals are uh I take a lot of time to talk about that and and to have conversations with everybody about that vision and concept too. So, um, wow, it's beautiful. It, it, you say that, but what's funny (laughs) about it is in the process of it for many people, it's really frustrating. It's very, people feel like we're getting behind. Um, people feel like, uh, they don't know, they don't know what I'm asking for because, what I'm asking is not specific and concrete. I can't say stand up and walk 10 paces north and turn to your left and scratch mm-hmm. your head. And right, like I don't. Yeah, 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 no. no. And, and it's terrifying for many, even designers. Many designers are like, just tell me what you want. And I'm like, but hang on, I want to have a conversation about dandelions. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how um, people where people learn to not direct that way. And I know that it's very organic for you. For me, it's been that way from the beginning. I worked with some uh, really, really great directors of uh, theater plays as versus musicals. And all they, the really great, like Jose Quintero once. And the idea is they ask you questions. Like, well, yeah. why, do you think you're, why do you think you're doing that? Why do you think you're doing that? Or also Austin Pendleton, who is, you know, quirky and nutty, but also brilliant. And he, mm-hmm. he just like, you stop, you have a conversation, then you say, let's try it again. And there's nothing about do it like this or do it like that. But also I want to say, uh, Courtney, that uh, I, I'm starting to learn why we can communicate well as co-artists, because I spend a lot of time on my own coming up with that idea that you're talking about a lot so that the play because the the play to me is directing a play to me or a musical is my my essay on a subject and the subject is whatever i've decided that play is about right so and and what i decided 
Not, right. not what anybody else decided, but what right. I decided because I'm the director and I'm the you know captain of the ship or whatever. And then I, how I, you know, with some people you want them to get. And I have found some people need to get on their feet before you can have the conversation, and other people really need to have the conversation first. And so going back and forth, but you know that's like our individual approaches um, vary, and also it depends on what group it is, you know, right, sure. too, and whether if it's summer stock. Yeah, yeah. You, there's, you, you can talk for, than, for four minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Five shows in ten weeks go. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Dandelions, fuck the dandelions. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you know, um, here's a dandelion. Now go rehearse. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, right. So, so it's always a, it's always a balancing act. But I, I, I just love, um, I just love this central idea because otherwise, it's I don't know what it is. I really don't like. Why would you want to spend all this time to recreate something that was already done? Like, I was yeah. recently in a show that I um, won't give too much detail about, but um, the director was so obsessed with me doing things the way that she wanted me to do them. Oh yeah. Um, and I honestly, it was the moment that I was like, I am not doing theater anymore for a while because. I'm an artist and you're treating me like I'm not one. And like, also I'm a couple years older than you, so you can fuck right the fuck off. <laughs> you were really unhappy during that show. I was like, really unhappy during so that bad. show. And it sucks because it was like such, it was like a the role, it was a bucket list role for me. Yeah. And you know, it's just, anyway, but I also it's, think that was coming from fear on on their part of like, absolutely. Not, you know, of wanting Knowing. to- exactly what yeah well I think actually sorry I interrupted you but I think what you were about to say was not wanting to disappoint like, anyone or yeah or like you know the creative director maybe you know like it was kind of one of the bigger theaters around and like you know I understand and at the same time like it was it was an awful experience you know I think that I think because I, I really I'm going back to you saying like knowing how to make things big or knowing how to like whatever, whatever that, that, that sentiment we were talking about, of, of, mm-hmm. about, and I, you know, this ties into that too. I think there's a bit of interior. I know you're like, like, I, I know you're, this is going to get you as well, because okay. I think part of what it is, is the, so the, the, what's happening, I think with theater, uh, like as an institution, is it's becoming so increasingly commercialized that people can't take risks anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to take risks that you know aren't risky. <laughs> like things right. can sort of can sort of look risky, but maybe it's because it's already been deemed that that's what it is we should be doing, right? We should be doing we should be doing this risky thing, which sort of like defeats the entire purpose of like innovation or risk or you know just trying something new and and the entire heartbeat of art. And you know what? The entire fucking heartbeat of anything that's creative, which science, I would say science falls in this category, is there's always like, you have to have these these crazy notions and then you have to test them. You have to try them out. Um, And I think as soon as theater starts to lose the spirit of like, we have to get in this room and we have to try something out um, and see if it works. As soon as people don't Mm -hmm. have the freedom to do that anymore, I don't I don't know what we're making, but I don't know that I would say we're making art. Um, and and maybe right. I've never I've never thought this specific thought, 
because I, I just used the word try out. And I was thinking about the process of like bringing a show to Broadway and that there are all these like tryouts that happen. Like you, you'll do, tryouts and yeah, you'll yeah. do all these out of town tryouts. You'll do like a, you'll do like a, like halfway produced workshop. You'll do like a, you know, and then by the time, the notion is by the time you get the, by the time you're bringing it to Broadway, you're opening in New York, you like have all the kinks worked out and then you just put the show up. And I want to be like, look, I, okay, so I've never been a part of that process. So what the fuck do I know? I mean, I, I have been in the room in a couple of processes similar to that, but I've never like as a director, yeah, you know, like done that. There's a part of me that I guess the question that I'll ask is after you've done all those tryouts and you're mounting that sort of last production on Broadway, are, is it even possible to like still find that magic when mm. like are you still even trying to find magic or have you like tested out all the ways that people reacted to the stuff you did already and like are you still trying right. any you know I, I don't know but yeah um, well I wonder too yeah like the process of letting go after the show is up I think is a thing too because um and especially in that context like I don't know I keep thinking of my friend, uh, James Davis, Jimmy Davis, who was just um, in Oklahoma on Broadway. Mm. And I saw it at St. Nan's before it went to Broadway. And I actually mm. didn't end up seeing it on Broadway. So I can't speak to same. you how it changed or didn't change. Yeah. I did <laughs> he same, played Will yeah. Parker. He's an amazing person. Oh. But um, I think part of the magic of that show is that it it was doing what we're talking about, I think. Yes. Which is yeah, like I agree. not doing what's expected. Like it is trying something on and, and it works. And, and, you know, I actually know for a fact that it took years. Yeah. It, that show was in development for a very long time. So I would imagine that they were constantly like trying to relight the flame under it, obviously, because they kept it going long enough that it, you know, won a Tony. So. But I, I, I also think it's like, it's about, because I, I don't mean to imply that you can't, like once you've done a show once or in one place, you can't like remount it somewhere. I don't mean to imply <laughs> that. I just mean to imply whenever you're quote remounting something or as you're continuing on, like there's a whole entirely new set of sort of circumstances that you're working with and you have to work specifically to those set of circumstances. It's who's right. your audience? What space are you in? Are the actors new? Like as Terry was talking about before, like it depends on the people that are in front of you. Like you know, I can talk about my process all day long, but the fact of the matter is my process grows and shifts with every new show that I do because mm-hmm. of a different set of circumstances. I'm working with different people. Those people are motivated and inspired in different ways. And part of my mm-hmm. job is to figure out how to inspire them. It is in my best interest to um, to make a person, to make every single person that I work with feel totally valid, valuable, affirmed, and Mm -hmm. special, number one, because they are, and number two, because that's going to get the best work out of them. Like, even if I thought totally selfishly, that's the smartest move for me to make. So like, when people um, don't treat definitely other people, but I would say even like, aspects like like inanimate aspects of the you know the space that you're working in or yeah. you know the 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 um 
you know, walking into, like go to a theater's prop shop and like walk around and like look and see like, what do they already have there? And does anything like get to, you know, like that stuff, like let yourself be specifically inspired by like what your sort of limitations and opportunities or potentials are is a, is a big thing for me. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a major problem in the theater these days with specifically with how actors are being treated. Yeah. I think um, I went to uh, all women directors conference. Uh, I wasn't, I'm not a woman director, but I went to see <laughs> a talk back with all these women directors in the theater. And it was really enlightening. It was at Signature. And I, I'm really a big fan of Signature because they charge something like $35 a ticket. And I was there at a Sam Shepard uh, production that was where in the audience was the one millionth ticket they'd sold at like $35. And this is high, high quality theater. And that's where yeah. they had this women directors uh, thing. And I thought of both of you, like I wish you could have both been there with me. This was before the pandemic closed everything down. But I think that and the, the movement towards uh, people of color and more, uh, again, more women uh, in producer, director, uh, roles is going to change everything in a really good way. I, I, you know, I, I think it's it, it's happening. It's in the midst of, and, and in a way, this pandemic strikes me as this really peculiar kind of forced pause. Yeah. You know, where we can all think like, well, wait a minute, I don't have to go back to doing what I was doing. I can start doing what I want to do because it's like a kind of for the not the best reasons. The kind of a we've all had this time to like sit. Uh, with ourselves and think about our process. Um, you want to hear what what my thought is? Because I yeah, of course here's my because it's pretty. I think it's pretty big. Like for me, like it's a it's a big shift from what I was thinking. So this pandemic, mm-hmm. my and and also what's interesting for me at the beginning of this is just before it was like I think it was March eighth. My my brother died. My older brother. He's, oh my god, uh, Courtney. Yeah, I'm so um, sorry. And, and it, and it was not coronavirus related and it was this sort of, it was kind of like a freak accident thing. And so like my, my, like that happened. And then I, I think a week and a half later, um, my, my next gig, which was, I was associate directing and associate choreographing, uh, South Pacific at Goodspeed, um, Mm -hmm. was like postponed and that's continued, like it still hasn't happened, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also was supposed to artistic direct this, this summer for the first time at a, at a summer stock theater. And mm-hmm. all of that got canceled like a week and a half after my brother died. And then, and then also like the whole world shut down. Like then right. it was, we were in like the throes of like pandemic quarantine um, and total uncertainty. Um, so, so my, my like specific window into the pandemic was also colored by Brad, my, my brother. And like, I went, Stephen and I went home for six months. To Kansas? Um, Yeah. So we were like uh, home for six months with my dad and my stepmom, who I love dearly. I'm very close with them. So it was easy to be home. Um, And my younger sister, who I also love, and we had a great time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was home with them for six months. And, but also like in the midst of that kind of grief, like we were in the house with my dad and like the grief that a parent feels when a child dies is like, yeah. So, 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 so anyways, that's like to paint a picture for you. And so 
I immediately sort of like shut down. Like I have gone off of social media and am still off. Like I still haven't gone back onto Facebook or Instagram. I haven't posted anything and I don't, like I uninstalled them from my phone, mm. you know, um, that kind of, and I, and I like shut down in many ways and went into a very sort of introspective place for quite some time. Um, and I also want to say disclaimer, Stephen was very pivotal in all the stuff that I'm about to say. Uh, Stephen is quite pivotal with basically everything ever that I Aww. ever say, just for everyone out there to know. I just want to give <laughs> He's credit. He's pretty amazing. He is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, so here's what I've come to. So skipping forward, here's what I've come to. Mm-hmm. I, I realized, and Terry, you'll get a kick out of this. I realized that I've been fighting in my career to a certain extent, the a struggle that I've created between, and these terms are reductive, but they get us close the the closest to like the ideas or the sentiments. A str- I've constructed a struggle between the sort of academic and the commercial mm-hmm. in me as as a director. And so, uh, you know, like before I came to New York and while I was getting my master's, and I I then taught for a couple years as a as a professor. Um, so like I was fully in this academic world, and it felt like specifically academic, and in many ways it feels cut off from the sort of vitality of theater. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I come to New York and in many ways, I feel like I'm thrown into this sort of commercial world and, and all these musicals that I've been doing, I, I, like I do a little mermaid and I do Mary Poppins and I do all shook up and I do, you know, mm-hmm. and I think all, all I'm doing is I'm just sneaking around trying to like subvert the musical just in everything I do. I'm just trying to <laughs> trick people so that I can do what I want to do and not go too far. Like I, you know, so it, it's not quite right for me. I'm not overly interested in reviving Broadway style musicals, but I, I do it and I do it in a very specific way that is like, I don't know, successful. And so like, I found myself in that world and that's not really what I want either. Mm. So I've constructed this like struggle, this, this dichotomy between academic and commercial. And it occurred to me somewhere in my um, existential pandemic dread that uh, there have been people in the past who surpassed both of those obstacles by like ignoring them entirely. Mm-hmm. And those people are, Brecht, Arto, Grotowski, I would argue Anne Bogart is maybe yeah. the, the closest version of this, this. Because like, what do you call this person? Like, first of all, they're all directors, but secondly, they're all makers. They are the generative mm. source of their work. So a director in the commercial world of theater, right? So, so here's the thing. The American theater is a text-based theater right now. It's almost exclusively text-based theater and the playwright is fucking king man now i don't got a problem with play like don't get me wrong here i don't have a i don't have not one thing i have only love and respect for playwrights but the playwright right now is in many ways and in many in most processes like the the sole generative voice of a project Mm -hmm. and you don't find directors these days who like make work and approach work the way that Brecht and Grotowski and Arto did. Um, I would maybe also put Peter Brook in this category. Um, Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I, so it occurs to me that we don't have many people in, I mean, I don't know, Terry, you tell me, can you think of, can you think of directors that 
you feel like are making work now that, and I also want to add, they also wrote, they, they created a process. They created a methodology, like a rehearsal methodology, and they trained people in their style so that they, so that like they, they had people who were trained to make the work that they were making. And they also, the other thing that they're characterized by is they don't make work. They don't do theater to do theater. They do theater because they want to change the world and theater is how they've decided to do it. It becomes a political thing or like a socio-cultural thing. And theater is how they sort of get to the people. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I, and, and they also wrote, they have texts, they have, right. So they have these things and we now teach people and train people based on those principles, like outside of, so Peter Brook is barely living, but he is in fact still living and as of at least a couple years ago, was still making stuff. And Bogart is obviously still making stuff, but she's 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 been doing it now for. Well, there's a different. Year. It's a very interesting question. I, I would put. I would mention the name Ivan Hova. Oh yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Because mm-hmm. even though I don't know his writing, I don't I don't know what he would say in this conversation. I just know that he's breaking walls down. And um, Wes, yeah, I agree with that. Wes Anderson in films break, breaks walls down. Like they, they say, no, you don't have to do that. We're right. Like this. And um, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, so in film, there's, I think, more, even more of it going on. But in terms of theater, I, you know, you're talking about gods to me. Like I was raised with Joseph Chaikin and um, uh, even, uh, you know, who's still alive is uh, Andre Gregory. Um, they, they are people that, really like they write they think they break things down but in terms of like actively working right now besides Ivan Hova and maybe uh, you could make a case for Julie Tamor in terms of yeah um not being limited by what's come before but you know having her own vision and saying this is what this is how you make things yeah Um, Mm. and there's a person named Ralph Lee do you guys know Ralph Lee Uh -uh. Mm uh-uh He's, uh, I think he's still alive. He's an amazing puppet maker. He did a bunch of stuff at St. University of St. John the Divine. He did sacred stories, uh, Native American, all from all kinds of countries. And huge, like a lot of his characters were huge puppets operated by multiple people or the, you have, the, you know, mythical stories being told. So they're, they're there. But I, I so love that you're bringing this up because it's, stirring me because that's where I that's what I in the 70s and 80s that's all I cared about and I thought yeah. you know was how to how how to carry on the torch from those people that you're bringing yep. up well and we talked a little bit about this in our uh, preliminary phone call but the assembly theater is oh um, yes based yeah. in New York and they're doing that yeah and they I, are their their biggest show was called homesick um and or at least as far as I know, they also had a play called Seagull Machine that was at La Mama a few years ago that did really well. But Homesick was about the weather underground and it was a devised piece. Um, and they were born out of Wesleyan um, University. Uh, and anyway, I don't want to speak too much about them because I don't know all the details, but I do know that that Homesick well, is one of, um, I mean, I, I actually, they're dear friends of mine. <laughs> they really are. I, I took a workshop with them recently because I was feeling very desperate for some intellectual, you know, conversation uh, and also like a little bit of training. Like I, it's being a student is so nice sometimes. So they went over the prelim, preliminary sort of 
uh, development processes that they use um, when when developing a new piece. And like before the the workshop, they gave us a, a passage from Kafka, one of Kafka's short stories, and. Um, you know, the first half of the workshop was like just talking about what came up for us. And then like based on that, based on what's coming up for you and what you've heard and are then thinking about because of everyone else, you know, then you do little writing exercises and then you bring that to the table and then new things are born. And it's like this very just generative process that really involves each person that is at the, has come to the table, you know, and and I just think it's a really beautiful thing that I have not really experienced very much before. You know, it occurs to me that maybe part of of where it's where it is evolving to is into uh, companies because I because I am thinking about this notion of who is creating methodologies, like who is creating methodologies of training, who is creating uh, work that looks like like it all looks like itself. Like you can tell, like what you can take. Mm-hmm all the work that like uh, uh, these artists or an artist makes and you can trace, you know, you can trace it back to them and like what their sort of like foundational principles and philosophies are as an artist. So, you know, uh, honestly, maybe a lot of it is coming into the notion of more of like, and and obviously we've always had um, uh, groups. We've always had theater groups, theater companies making work, but but maybe this this tradition of not the traditional way the theater has is being made in America, which is like there's like a certain hierarchy. It tends to be text based. It tends to go from, you know, a playwright writes it, a producer takes it on, a director gets hired, actors get hired. You know what I mean? Like if it's very hierarchical. Maybe it's being passed on to. Maybe this tradition is seen less in sort of like individual director auteurs, and more mm-hmm. in. certain companies i think it probably is yeah well then that's what i want to do i want (laughs) to that's that's right i think it is i think it is way what you're asking like because many of the people you're referring to even in the past they did it in labs yeah yeah basically right it was like yeah the grotowski theater was a lab and what they created was impossible outside of a lab until it was ready you know right right Um, and so with uh I don't know if you know about Peter Brook's Conference of the Birds, but it's an incredible oh. story. You, oh, yeah. you, know, you can read about it. The script exists, but the script is is significant. Of course, it's from a Persian story. A Persian poet Attar wrote a story about um, very deep mystical journey, but it's all done. The characters are all birds, and Peter Brook directed it by, and they, the troop went around Africa, and they had a carpet that was like 15 by 20 or something, and they rolled that out. Each one of them had one single prop, and wherever they were, that was their stage. Love it. Incredible, like life-changing kind of production. Mm-hmm. But again, all generated in a in a kind of lab. I think that's what you're yeah. asking for. We're gonna be out of time. So what I want to do is make sure we get all the juice out of Courtney possible. Julia, what's <laughs> yeah, what is left? I'm not sure. I do I would love to throw out some ideas. This is just coming to me now for a alternate titles for straight theater. Oh, good. Yeah. I thought that might be, I really didn't want to dismiss that. I didn't want to interrupt your train of thought, but I think it's really important. Yeah. And I, well, Terry, you said, what did you say earlier? I thought you doing plays. Yeah. 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 yeah, You just, but it wasn't just, it was, there was another word that you used in there too, where I was like, that already is like, we just need to get rid of the notion of, because, and here I, like, I want to make it explicit. Straight theater is, 
problematic just because of the connotative value of straight as far as sexual orientation goes within mm-hmm. our society, yeah. right? So like, so that's number one, of course. But then another is the fact that somehow there's like a binary between like a play and what not a play or something yeah. like that, which yeah. I don't think, which I think that's kind of reductive. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it's like, you could just say musical and play. But, but it's not like Terry, right, that right, piece right. that you came to of mine, like there's, there's, do you remember, it was called Making Book Jacket. It was a piece that Steven and I and another collaborator of ours made that was like a dance theater piece. Do you remember that, Terry? Yeah. Um, Making Book Jacket. It was at 92Y. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. That was brand, that was brand new. Like, yeah. That and was like, like yeah. what, do, what do you call that? A play or a musical? Neither. No, neither. And it's not, and it's not even really like, you can't even really call it a dance piece either. Like it's just none of those. Yeah. Well, maybe we don't land on an answer today, but, but, um, I do think it's something we should all think about and come to a consensus on (laughs) Yeah, as a, as a community, not just us here in the room. (laughs) What'd you say, dad? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if, so I think you've already answered our last question, which is like, uh, going forward. Cause you're, you're, I, I can answer your question for you, Courtney, which is <laughs> I want to start my own lab company and develop work that is, you know, really coming from my heart and about what I want it to be about. Um, yep. is, there may be, uh, something else that we're forgetting. I don't, think so but let me just see I don't think so yeah uh, I feel like this has been really really solid fantastic yeah I've uh, enjoyed it awesome I guess I I don't think I, you know I usually ask this question but um I don't think I need to because it sounds like you're pretty inspired most of the time but is there anything that <laughs> you is there anything that you sort of do when you're feeling you know the doubts of being an artist and how how uh, bleak it can really seem sometimes and is there are there things that um you know in your soul that keep you motivated and in the game you know once again it's sort of nice to hear like things reflected back to me um because i like i i thank you for saying that that the, the thing you just said which was that that it seems like i i i'm don't normally have the issue of not feeling inspired because I do. I definitely <laughs> we all do. do. Yeah, yeah. And it and um, you know, it, it's it's a good question. And um I, I think one thing is I, I am starting to I haven't always been this way, but I'm starting to feel very strongly that it's important that you allow yourself to feel that void mm. that you that you don't because you know, I think the younger version of me um had to keep doing, had to keep doing, had to keep doing, had to keep doing, had to, you know, and I think there is something to if you're not feeling it, like roll around in that emptiness, like allow yourself. And, and what that might mean, I don't mean roll around in like despair. I mean, like if you need to disconnect from the responsibility of being an inspired individual and like just watch Netflix all day long, or the thing that I've really been escaping into is reading. Mm-hmm. I have really, like, I feel like I could just read. And it's because to a certain extent, I'm in a bit of a phase of like, I'm taking in rather than creating myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I'm taking in other people's thoughts and ideas and um, which has been, and I need to like, let myself off the hook um, so that I can come. Okay, here, we can end with this. Ready? 
This is Stephen and I were talking about this on a walk. I also recommend walks, by the way. Walks. They're the yeah, best. Just say walks. Get out in nature, get moving, get oxygen going. Um, let your thoughts move. You know, I, I recommend that. Anyway, Stephen and I were out walking and we um he's in the middle of and I just finished reading a book called The Myth of the Eternal Return. Cool. Um it is a little bit of a tough read. It's kind of <laughs> dense. It was one of those books where you can only read, you know, 12 pages at a time. Um but actually the author, um, he's French. His name is Mercia Eliade, maybe. I don't know if that's how you say it. I'm getting close though. Um, but he, <laughs> he, he talked about the notion actually of um, the phrase killing time. Mm. And uh, mm. do this short, Courtney, do a short version of this. He talks about the <laughs> phrase killing time and how it connects also with the word, like the original impulse of the word recreation, like recreational activities or something. Right. Uh -huh. And he says, so like, um, so primitive man. So like, 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 you know, Mesopotamian man, like, like beginning of days, man, um, and woman, they actually perceive time differently than we did. They were like a historical, like they didn't accumulate history. They actually like regenerated. There were so many rituals and beliefs that they had that like every year, for instance, like the new year celebration or something for them might mean like they literally abolish everything that happened before and started the fuck over. And <laughs> they're like, their, their rituals were like, calling back to like the original cosmological generative initial event of creation. Like everything, like a marriage ceremony was that, the birth of a child was that, the death of somebody was that, the new year was that, their holiday celebrations were that. They did, they literally perceived time differently than we did. They did not accumulate history. Everything was birthed anew constantly. It's unfathomable for us, frankly. So you're just gonna have to sort of take my word for it that that's what, how they all like perceive time. Um, and so the notion of killing time for them, we think of it as like wasting time, but the, the notion of killing time, literally at the end of a year, you kill off what just happened and start anew. And right. recreation, I never thought about this guys, but what is the word recreation? It is- Recreate. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Re, to recreate. Yeah. And so I am taking advantage of my recreational, totally unemployed time right now to recreate. Yes, girl. Yes. Oh, really I'm good. giving you snaps in the microphone. <laughs> but it's been great, Courtney. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Um, You're so miss awesome. You miss, miss you. you guys. Yeah. Miss you, too. That was Courtney Lane Self on Why We Do This. Find out more about ourselves and our guests at whywedothispodcast.com.